Chapter Two of Basil, or Honesty and Industry. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Robert Harder. Basil, or Honesty and Industry, by C. G. O'Brien. Chapter Two. Basil finds a friend. When Basil arose from his knees, the sun had just risen above the dark woods and was flooding the sky with a soft, rosy light. The glorious rays seemed to penetrate into the boy's heart and speak words of peace and encouragement to him. It seemed to tell him that the great and merciful God, the creator of this beautiful world, who hateth nothing that he has made, and without whose permission not even a sparrow falleth to the ground, would lend a gracious ear to the prayer, weak and imperfect as it was, of an ignorant and sinful little boy, and would, for his son Jesus Christ's sake, answer it in his own good time. I do not mean to say that Basil thought exactly all I have just written. He was an ignorant boy, and would have been sadly puzzled to put his thoughts into words. But the substance was the same, and there was a bright and hopeful expression on his face that spoke more than words could have done and yet he scarcely knew what to do. He was sure of a good beating if he failed to take home sufficient wood, and the morning air had already made him feel terribly hungry. What should he do? One thing he made up his mind to, and that was that nothing should induce him to steal. So on he walked, and as he entered the wood the dry leaves and twigs crackled under his feet. A pretty brown squirrel was sitting on one of the lower boughs of a large tree, eating a ripe nut. Basil's attention was attracted by the animal, and casting his eyes on the ground beneath the tree on which the squirrel was sitting, he saw a number of sweet chestnuts lying on the ground, quite ripe. Here was a breakfast all ready for poor Basil. Chestnuts are very nice and wholesome, and in Spain and Portugal, and other countries in the south of Europe, they form the principal food of the peasants, who either roast or boil them, or grind them into flour, of which they make a sort of cake. Basil had no fire by which to roast his chestnuts, so he was obliged to eat them raw. But hunger is an excellent sauce, so he enjoyed them very much. And as there were more than he could eat at the time, he put the remainder in his pockets. Then on he went again, with scarcely any fixed purpose, until the sharp ringing sound of a woodman's axe struck upon his ear. It was long since such a sound had been heard in those woods, and Basil hastened forward toward the spot whence the noise proceeded. As he walked along he noticed that a number of the trees which he passed had a white or red mark on their trunks, and he then remembered to have heard that a great deal of the timber at Woodside had been sold and was shortly to be cut down. At length he came to a spot rather more open than other parts of the wood, and saw three men busily occupied in felling a huge oak tree. Basil knew the tree well. It was one of the finest in the wood. He had frequently gathered its acorns, and now he almost felt sorry as he saw this mighty monarch of the forest sinking beneath the axe of the woodman. "'Stand out of the way, youngster,' cried one of the men in a loud voice as a large bough fell with a crash close to Basil's feet. He started back, affrighted. "'All right, my lad, no bones broken this time,' 
said he who appeared to be the elder of the party, and was better dressed than the others. Only don't get in the way of a fallen branch again. I'll take care another time, said Basil. And what brings you here at this time of the morning, lad? I was passing through the wood, and I heard the sound of the axe, and I had never seen a tree cut down, and if you wouldn't mind me staying and looking on a bit, I— Not at all, lad, not at all, continued the same man, who had first spoken, and who had a strong Scotch accent. But have you no work to do? It's a bad thing for young lads of the like of you to be a-sauntering about all the day. I have barons of my own in Scotland, and the first thing I try to teach them is that— Satan finds some mischief still for idle hands to do. Maybe you've heard these lines before. Yes, sir, I learned them once at the Sunday school, but indeed I have no work to do, or... You mean you do it? Well, there's no time like the present. What if I give you some work today? I should be so very glad, said Basil, and there was no mistake in the tone of his voice or the look of his face. All right, then. Can you use the axe at all? I suppose not. I can a little, said Basil. Very well. Take this light one, and let me see you try to cut off the small branches from the great bough that has just fallen. Basil did as he was told, and succeeded tolerably well, although his strokes were very weak. Not much strength in your wrist yet, said his new friend, smiling. And then, remarking Basil's pale and thin face, he said in a rough, kind tone, Have you breakfasted, laddie? I had a small piece of bread before I left home, and I found some chestnuts in the wood. "'We'll give you something better than that,' said the kind woodman. "'And I'm thinking, Stenny,' continued he, addressing himself to one of his companions, "'that it's about time we had some breakfast ourselves. This lad might save us time by going down to the farm and bringing us up the can of milk that was promised us. Do you know your way to Woodside Farm, youngster?' "'Oh, yes,' said Basil, eagerly. "'I know every blind path in the wood, "'and I'll be there and back again almost before you miss me.' "'You'll make a man some day,' said the woodman, "'who was evidently pleased at Basil's alacrity. "'Shall I go at once, sir?' "'Yes, and say you came from Donald McNichol. "'You'll find one of our party there, "'and we shall be glad of your help, "'as we only came last night and don't know any of your shortcuts.' "'Basil set off like a young deer. "'Through brushwood,' and briar through the tall masses of brake fern now startling a timid hare from his bed in the long grass and now a covey of partridges who rose on whirring wing on he went at a very different pace to that with which he had entered the wood and in a short space of time he reached woodside farm mr stewart who had purchased the farm was a scotch gentleman and it was his steward donald mcnichol and some of his men whom basil had met in the wood they had only arrived the previous evening, but Donald had frequently visited the estate on former occasions in company with his master, and had, under his direction, marked what trees were to be felled. Basil got the can of milk and started on his return to the wood. As he was leaving the farm, he saw the son of a near neighbor crossing a field at a little distance. He called out to him and asked him to look in at his mother's cottage when he went home to dinner, and tell her not to be uneasy if she did not see him till evening. Basil was a kind-hearted boy, and did not wish to cause her any anxiety. Back again, through the long fern and the brushwood, not quite so quickly this time, though, for he must carry the can of milk steadily. When he reached the oak tree, the men were busy preparing breakfast. 
"'Well done, my man,' cried Donald, "'just in time to see a highland breakfast made "'and to have a share in it, too.' "'Everything was quite new to Basil. "'The woodman had kindled the fire on the ground of dry sticks, "'and over it was a small iron skillet, or pot, "'full of water which was just boiling. "'Donald McNichol now opened a bag of oatmeal, "'and threw a quantity of it in the boiling water, "'stirring it all the time with a wooden spoon. "'The mixture soon began to thicken,' and was then poured out into small wooden bowls, where it looked like thick gruel. In a few seconds a dry skin settles on top of the porridge, as it is called, and it is then ready to be eaten. The men sat down on two of the large boughs of the oak tree, which had been cut off, and Donald McNichol simply and fervently asked a blessing on the meal, of which they were about to partake. A portion of the milk which Basil had brought was then poured into each bowl, and breakfast commenced. There was no bowl for Basil, so he had to wait until one of the men had finished. But his porridge was keeping hot all the time in the skillet, and Donald talked so pleasantly to him that he did not mind waiting. His new friend asked him several questions about his home and his family, not out of mere curiosity, but with a true kindly feeling, and he was soon enabled to form a pretty correct opinion as to Basil's previous education. Donald himself was no great scholar, but being naturally of a shrewd, clever disposition, he had acquired a vast deal of useful information, and what was better than all, he was a sincere and humble believer in Christ. A true lover of nature, he saw and acknowledged the finger of the Almighty in all his works, and felt the full force of those beautiful lines, There's not a plant nor flower that grows, but makes thy glory known. Short as was the time spent over breakfast, Donald found ample opportunity of leading Basil's mind from the works of God to God himself, and all was done in such a kind and winning way that gave his words double power. "'Now, my lad,' said he to Basil, as Dinny finished his porridge, "'there's a bowl for you, and you'll make the acquaintance of a new friend, I guess.' Stinny poured the porridge into the bowl for him, and gave him some milk, and Basil had a thoroughly satisfying breakfast." The country people in Scotland almost live on this oatmeal porridge, which there supplies the place of wheaten bread. It is considered very nutritious and wholesome, especially for children. When Basil had finished breakfast, Donald again set him to work to chop off some of the small branches. Basil worked on steadily, although it made his wrists ache sadly. Meantime, the woodman had been busy preparing for the falling of the main stem, or trunk, of the huge oak. A strong rope was fastened to the topmost part of the tree, and when, after long and repeated blows of the axe, the great trunk was nearly severed, the men pulled with all their might at the long rope, and after great exertion, crack, 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 was heard, each crack louder than the first, until with a long and final crash the stem gave way, and the huge trunk fell to the ground. Then Donald and his men commenced barking the trunk and branches. This was quite a novelty to Basil and Donald kindly explained the whole process to him. By the bark of a tree is meant the outer covering of the stem, and the bark of many trees is most useful, because it contains a substance called tannic acid, which is used to convert rawhides, or skins of animals, into leather such as shoes are made of. The bark of many trees produces this acid, but in Britain it is the oak bark which is most esteemed. The bark of the birch tree is greatly used for steeping fishermen's nets and cordage, to preserve them from rotting, 
and it is by reason of their being so tanned, as it is called, that they acquire that reddish-brown color which doubtless many of my young readers have noticed, and which makes a fishing net so picturesque an object in many a seaside landscape. But we must return to the process of barking, which Basil now witnessed for the first time. The rough outside parts of the bark are lifeless and useless, and are first removed by an instrument called a scraper. The smaller branches of the tree are then cut into lengths of about two feet, and the bark is loosened by beating with a mallet or wooden hammer, after which it comes off quite easily. Basil was soon able to bark some of these small branches. The main trunk and large branches are not so easily stripped of their bark. The bark has first to be cut through by a sort of huge chisel, which is called a barking iron, into similar lengths, each of which is also divided lengthwise, and it is then finally stripped off by means of mallets and chisels. Great care is requisite in drying the bark, as it would be quite spoiled if allowed to get moldy, and is liable to suffer injury if too much exposed to the sun. It is therefore generally stacked very carefully against the trunks of trees in such a way as to allow a free circulation of air. Oak bark will frequently fetch from six to eight pounds a ton. Donald was pleased with the evident interest Basil took in all he saw and heard. It's a braw world, Basil, laddie, and the longer one lives in it, the more and more our hearts should glow in praise and gratitude to the maker of it. It's a great blessing, I always think, to have one's lot cast in the pure, fresh country air, with all the numberless tokens of his marvelous love about us, beneath us, around us. Not but that he is equally present in the crowded city as in this lonely wood, but it always seemed to me as if we were closer to him in scenes like these. Hast ever thought, laddie, if God has so clothed the grass of the field, so filled with objects of beauty the dwelling-place of sinners, how much more will he adorn the heavenly mansions which he has prepared for them that love him? If the earth, which is only his footstool, be so beautiful, what will his throne be? Basil had thought but little on the subject hitherto, and he honestly told his new friend so. It's time to begin, then, Basil. Remember now thy Creator in the days of thy youth, and you cannot reckon on the future. How few of all these acorns will ever become great trees! And many a lad younger than thou art has been suddenly called to his great account with all his sins unrepented of. Begin from this moment, lad, and may God give you grace to keep in the right way. There be many blind paths in religion, Basil, but don't you follow them. There is but one safe and sure road, and our blessed Saviour has told us which that is. What does he say? I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Believe in him, and you shall be saved. The tears were in Basil's eyes as he pressed the hand of his kind friend. The boy's heart was too full for words, and indeed he would have found difficulty in expressing all he wished to say but in his heart he felt how signally God had answered his morning prayer. Donald perfectly understood the boy's emotion. "'We'll maybe have another chat, Basil, before you leave this evening,' he said. As dinner being over, they returned to their work. End of chapter 2